welcome to Our Changing State, the podcast. I'm Matthew Petty, host of Florida Matters on WUSF 89.7. For this podcast, we're taking a deep dive into topics that seem to be changing by the minute, from the environment and the economy to our politics and culture. For decades, people have been drawn to Florida by the warm weather, the beaches, theme parks, and lack of state income tax. But in the past few years, Florida's booming population has shifted those changes into overdrive. Our reporting for this podcast included an online survey where we asked people like you to share your take on this state we call home. That's right, you and your neighbours drive the conversation we're having with residents and topic experts. Thanks for being here. We hope that we all learn a little more about our changing state in the process. You can see the signs of our growing population just by taking a drive anywhere in Florida. Whether it's a commute that takes twice as long as it did a few years ago, the frustrating search for parking, or the chaos around road expansions, the simple fact is more people means more cars on the road. Today we start on one of the many tree-lined streets around Tampa's Seminole Heights neighborhood. I met up with Tampa resident Sharon Tagle on a hot, blustery afternoon surrounded by road construction and rows of large orange traffic barrels. We talked about how she gets around and how that experience of getting from place to place has changed. My name is Sharon Tagle. I am retired. We are currently at the intersection of East Wilder and North Central Avenue in Tampa, which has been under construction for roughly the last year and a half. I drove out here to meet you. I had a little bit of trouble finding my way here because of the roads being blocked off. What was your experience getting here? I live in this uh, town about um, two miles west of here. And we use these roads all the time, but whenever we turn a corner, we find a road we didn't know had been closed before. (laughs) Do you have a sense of what the end goal is for some of this construction? They're replacing some old, old pipe. And every neighborhood is going to have a chance to have their street torn up. They're starting with the oldest pipes first, and then they're, you know, going from neighborhood to neighborhood. My, my neighborhood, which is called Wellswood, and it's right behind Tampa Catholic High School, is scheduled to be dug up in about 20 years. <laughs> that's, how far, okay. that's how far behind they are. We have a serious pothole problem. And once, it seems like once the potholes get fixed, they just break down again. There's, there's a lot of issues with transportation and, and the road structure here. Sharon, tell me how long you've been in Florida. I have lived in Florida since 1989. And where was your first port of call? Where did you come to first when you moved here? I moved to St. Petersburg, which is nothing like it is now. I mean, you could roll a bowling ball down Central Avenue at 8 o'clock at night and not hit anyone in 1989. And then in 2009, I moved to Tampa. And why did you move? Why did I move? Yeah, why did you move from St. Pete to Tampa? I fell in love and uh, (laughs) met my current husband here. So we moved here, and he's lived in Tampa all his life, and he's very familiar with the area. You're from New Jersey originally? Mm -hmm. What brought you from New Jersey to Florida in the first place? Oh, it's a long story. My husband at the time, his company went on strike, and his brother was the shop steward, and he knew it was going to be a long strike. So he says, oh, let's just move to Florida. That's what seems like what a lot of people are doing these days, only they're tech, tech people <laughs> instead of factory people. What was it like when you moved? Like, just describe your first impressions of the state back in the late 80s. 
Well, coming from a huge metropolitan area, we lived outside of Philadelphia. The first couple of years were rough because I had that, this isn't how we do it up north syndrome. But um, once I got used to it, I started to enjoy it. And then the 90s and the 2000s brought a lot of cultural improvements to the area. It was very, very pleasant to live here. And then about five or six years ago, the, the huge influx started of people moving into Florida and then COVID didn't help it any because DeSantis opened up the, the, the state to all comers and things started getting crazy. My biggest concern is that with so many people moving here and driving cars and not wanting to give the cars up because we really don't have the trans public transportation in place and there's no way to expand the roadways to make um, say a two lane into a four lane there's no place to go. There's only so many people and so so much room mm -hmm. for transportation to expand. And you see how narrow this particular street is. And when you've got cars parked on both sides of the street, it's very difficult to, to move around. Do you use public transportation at all here in Tampa? Uh, if Uber counts, we've started, <laughs> we started using Uber last year. Because we're retired, we really don't need to go anywhere on a bus but we use Uber and we, um, there's uh, water taxis and stuff, but even after the um, pandemic, a lot of the stuff that was for leisure and fun has again since gotten very expensive and doesn't, and doesn't encourage people to, to use it. And, and it sounds like you still drive a little bit. Yeah, we, we drive to the grocery store and stuff, but um, if it's a special event, you, you can't find parking downtown and parking when it is there is very prohibitive. We've turned away from a couple of events because we couldn't find parking. Our plan when we retired, my husband um, and I both retired six years ago, was to have a leisurely life where if we wanted to get like a steak for dinner, we would run to the supermarket and pick up what we needed for the day and maybe go out for breakfast once or twice a week. And the traffic has made that dream totally unsustainable because we live a mile from the supermarket and sometimes it takes us 10 minutes to get there. If you'd like to hear an extended version of each episode of Our Changing State, or if you'd like to listen to archived episodes of our weekly show, Florida Matters, visit our website, wusfnews.org. When it comes to transportation, our listeners are concerned about lengthening commute times, traffic congestion, road rage, and the need for better mass transit and alternatives to the car. Carl McKiska is the staff director of the Pasco County Metropolitan Planning Organization. Carl, thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's good to be here. Also joined by Ruth Steiner, professor of urban and regional planning and director of the Center for Health and the Built Environment at the University of Florida. Ruth, thank you as well. Happy to be here. I want to ask, first of all, just a question for you personally. How long have you been in Florida and what changes have you noticed on the roads or other modes of transportation in Florida? Ruth, what have you seen? So I've been here since 1994. One of the things I've seen is that the Florida state continues to be pretty dominated by its use of automobiles rather than getting around by other modes. We also persist in having um, high rates of pedestrian and bicycle uh, injuries and fatalities, despite a lot of effort being put into trying to improve safety. 
transit, I think I would say we continue to um, not be as friendly for transit as many other parts of the country. Um, and I would say uh, we've seen a lot of changes, not just in Florida, but nationwide on uh, freight delivery, such that the dependence on internet for deliveries to home is is going to, I would say, is, has reached a critical point and is going to continue to be an issue uh, moving forward. Cal, what about yourself? I came to Florida in 2007, and for the first part of my career here in Florida, I was in Tallahassee, Florida. And fortunately, the jobs I had there allowed me to travel the state. I can say there's been a distinct increase in traffic congestion. And I agree with what Ruth was saying regarding the fatalities and serious injuries, particularly with our pedestrians and cyclists. Uh, That's something that has plagued Florida and is something we have to address. Mm. A lot of comments we got from our audience in the community focused on the number of cars on the road. Here's Bill Stokes. He said, traffic, gridlock, impaired drivers, and lack of car alternatives are killing the quality of life in Florida. And here's a driver's perspective on the increase in traffic. This is from Paul Plaud. He drives a Ford F-250 truck for his job in mosquito control, spends about 20 hours a week on the roads around Hillsborough County. Paul told me he tries to plan out his routes to avoid left turns, and that's so he doesn't get stranded in the middle of an intersection as other drivers rush to beat the lights. Let's take a listen. I can't speak for where they're coming from. I think there's bad drivers everywhere, but definitely the more cars there are, the more people are... You tend to occasionally run into people who are really in a rush that are going 20, maybe even 30 miles above the the speed limits. You know, we all see them, every Florida driver, and we just have to stay in our lane, let them pass, let them do their thing because we can't control them. We can only control what we're doing. So, Ruth, I want to ask you, what about that connection between traffic congestion, quality of life and safety? How do you kind of plan around that? So, first of all, I guess it's important to say that traffic congestion is a complaint nationwide. There's one aspect of this comment that's really important, the avoidance of the left turns. Because Florida developed late, we developed on a system that has major arterials uh, and not a lot of alternatives on how we get from point A to B. Um, Some cities, some of the cities in Florida in their central core, you can take lots of different roads. So if you have a road closed down, you have some alternatives. But I would say large parts of Florida, in contrast with many other older places in the country that developed earlier, Florida has this sort of the six, eight lane arterials. We sort of have this challenge of how do we provide access for all travelers on the roadway and ensure that all of them can get around, all users can get around safely. And the, those arterials, nationally, there's a, more attention being given to it, but they really are a challenge, especially for pedestrians to get across. And for bicyclists also, driving, riding in that environment is a challenge. Uh, here's another comment, too, from Connie McMahon from Zephyr Hills, who writes, traffic even all the way up and out here in Zephyr Hills is untenable. Too many housing developments approved in eastern Pasco County with farm, town, infrastructure, and roads. Carl, I wonder where transportation fits into that planning process when these new developments are being planned and built, and how do you make sure that everything kind of keeps pace? Because that's a challenge, right? It is absolutely a challenge. Um, When we're doing transportation, we're looking at those new developments, and we're looking at where they're going so that we have that forecast of where we're going to have future traffic demands. Simultaneously on the land use side, and Pasco County is currently working on their comprehensive plan. They're looking at 
where the transportation improvements are going to be. And the two are try we're trying to link the two together by having them feed off of each other so that they are responsive to each other. And for the listeners, if they're interested, we're currently doing the comprehensive plan looking out to 2050, and that's something that will be implemented between now and 2050. 2050 is a long way out. I think a lot of people are just thinking, I'm worried about the you know, traffic congestion on the road in front of me right now. Absolutely. But the key point I want everyone to think about is while we're looking out to 2050, that sets the series of decisions we make today, next year, five years from now that lead out to 2050. That's the ultimate goal mm. and beyond. But it, it, the decisions we're making today in this plan will affect that. Here's a comment from Heather Ellis from Lando Lakes who notes, commute times have doubled, accidents have increased, pollution is getting worse, road rage has also become an issue as a result of these issues. And she adds, it takes me 30 to 40 minutes to get somewhere that should take 15 to 20 minutes. Ruth, I wonder about that. I mean, there is kind of an emotional component to some of these practical things, right? There are some solutions in place, like an I-4, for example, they added extra lanes, toll lanes to what was previously a toll-free road, but what's the impact of all this? And is there a way to design, can you design your way out of some of these congestion issues? Well, the way I often think about congestion is we often, we act like there's a single cause of congestion, but the reality is there's multiple parts to congestion. And stated, it's simply it's too many people on the road at, at a single time. What I find interesting about this conversation on congestion is that with fewer people going to work, which had historically been the time of greatest congestion, one would assume that congestion should be reduced if more people are working from home. The challenge is that we haven't necessarily made it easy enough for people to get to other destinations without uh, congesting the roadways. And so one way I describe this is if you look at older parts, and the city of Tampa has very good grid network which gives people a lot of options about how they get along, uh, get around. If you don't put the places people are going to go in places that they can access without having to go on these arterials, you're going to still, if, or if you have neighborhoods that have one entrance and one exit, you're going to congest all of the traffic from a single subdivision onto a single road, and then we turn around and ask, why do we have congestion? So until we start building our land use patterns in a different way that decreases the need for people to travel on the arterials to get to shopping, to get to the doctor's office, to take our children to school. And we really need to plan simultaneously at all levels. Now, the challenge to that is, you know, lots of people don't want to be next to a dumpster for a restaurant, don't want to be next to places that are loud and uh, have loud noise late at night. But we do separate our land uses a lot, and we set up a single entrance into our neighborhood because we don't want a lot of through traffic. But that means we're concentrating our traffic on a small number of roadways in our community. I wanted to ask about mass transit because we did get a lot of comments from community, community members about the need for better mass transit and other alternatives to cars. Here's a comment from Nancy Happner from Clearwater who writes, traffic is too congested, we do not have good public transit. And then there's Chelsea Swats in Tampa who writes, traffic is a nightmare in the Tampa area. We need to invest smartly and be the place for great public transportation. Ruth, what does great public transportation look like and how do communities in Tampa Bay or elsewhere in Florida improve? 
Well, the way I think about this first is great public transportation is that's uh, transportation that occurs frequently enough and goes from where people live to where they work or where they're going to go. So it's a, the challenge is it's a many-to-one relationship. Many people going from, or historically, it's been many people going from the suburbs to jobs in the city. The dilemma is that, first of all, a part of what means we can get frequent enough transportation, and, and generally speaking, you want 15, no more than 15 to 20 minutes between buses. Now, even with technology, you can predict when it's going to occur. But you don't want to have to think about, if I randomly go to a bus stop, I only want to wait a few minutes. The dilemma is that in order to get to that many-to-one relationship, we need higher density than large parts of Florida have. Or we need a high penetration of transportation, meaning lots of people in a single neighborhood are going from one place to another. So then the question becomes, how do we get to that critical mass that's necessary to have public transportation that's effective and meaning and works well for the community? There's lots of solutions, and Uber and Lyft, I know, have been tried extensively in Pinellas County, for example. The challenge with them is that they really can't get to scale. You mentioned Uber and Lyft, and I want to bring in a comment here from Margaret Stahl from Tampa, who writes, I no longer have a car and rely on Lyft and Uber or the Heart system, that's the Hillsborough Area Regional Transit System, to get around. I do not want to be in Tampa with traffic, in traffic with a car and the cost of insurance. Public transportation needs alternative options such as more bus stops and rail. Carl, I wanted to ask about the cost of car insurance, because a couple of our listeners mentioned that. Is that something that transportation planners think about when they're kind of considering options? So it's that's built into the overall cost of transportation via automobile. The problem that we have with the insurance is that it's something you pay regardless of how much you drive. Mm. And so it's a bit of a sunk cost, uh, much like buying the automobile once you've purchased it, now it's available. And so I don't think it really goes into a decision-making process at the individual level for each trip. Mm-hmm. And that decision-making or look at it, is really only on the gas used and the time that it will take. Yeah, The insurance doesn't factor into there. What about things like Lyft and Uber? Where does that fit into Pasco County's transit plan? In terms of transit, one of the things that does work well with Lyft and Uber and um, even the little scooters is that for that last mile mm-hmm. to get between either your home and transit or transit and your destination, you can use these. And particularly with as warm as it gets here, the idea of walking a mile or a mile and a half is not appealing to a traditional transit rider. And that fills a niche and really can help transit. I would say there's another way that Uber and Lyft could be used. First mile and last mile is very important. But I would also say uh, late night service where we know there's not enough service to have a large bus. Someone knowing that they can get a ride home after 8 o'clock at night may be important in getting them to take transit to go wherever they're going in the first place. So creating flexibility can be another good, for certain kinds of trips, can also be a good usage of Uber and Lyft in complementing public transit. What does the next 5 to 10 years look like on the roads from your perspective, Ruth? What do you think? Continued traffic congestion because we still need to continue to work on providing those alternatives that a lot of your listeners speak about. 
and creating them not not just creating those facilities but also creating them in a, a manner that people feel safe that they're safe convenient and effective in serving the trips that the people want to make on them. And Carl, what's your view on that? Uh, I'm going to agree with Ruth on this, except I'm going to go a little bit further and say uh, not continuing congestion, but I think we're going to see increased congestion because we are growing our population faster than we are growing our transportation network. Very fortunately, we have a DOT that partners well with our local units of government, and that is not always the case in other states. And as a result, the voice of locals are going up to DOT, who has a large amount of funding to make solutions happen. So that is the one thing we have to look at and say we are very fortunate to have a cooperative DOT that is polite, respectful, and collaborative with our locals. Hmm. So that is the one thing we have going for us. Well, we've been speaking with Carl McKiska, the Staff Director of the Pasco County Metropolitan Planning Organization. Carl, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here. And Ruth Steiner, Professor of Urban and Regional Planning and Director of the Center for Health and the Built Environment at the University of Florida. Ruth, thank you as well. Thank you for your time. I enjoyed this uh, conversation. Thanks for listening to Our Changing State. Find more details about this series from WUSF Public Media, including photos of the people we're meeting across the Tampa Bay region, on our website, wusfnews.org. Find us on Facebook and Twitter. You can also stream our weekly show, Florida Matters, every Tuesday at wusfnews.org. Our producer is Denora Prevost. Our podcast producer is Scott Wachtler. We also received support for this week's episode from engineer Jackson Harp, digital editor Carl Lishandrello, and news director Mary Shedden. I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks for listening.